trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Glad you could join me today. Now I'm going to do my best to make it absolutely worth your while. I'm going to start by mentioning there are some great businesses, sponsors who make this program possible. And if you appreciate, if you find value in some of the information that I share with you, if you find encouragement in some of the insights that I'm able to bring to you, I would ask you, please do your part and let these sponsors know that their message is reaching your ears. They include lifesavingfood.com, also monticellocollege.org, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. And I've got a nice little link to them in the show notes on, on my show notes page at thebrianhydeshow.com. I publish show notes for every single episode that I produce. And, you know, I'll have links to the articles, which is, is nice if you want to do a little more in-depth study, and I really hope you do. I mean, this is the difference between parrots and people who actually think for themselves, right? The, the parrots are content to just, ah, I heard him say this, ah, I'm going to repeat it. But, you know, the people who think for themselves, they are the ones who are willing to start pulling on that thread. Follow it a little bit further. What more can I learn about this? So my hope is that you'll avail yourself of the show notes and, and you'll find something useful there. Um, I also do my own, you know, I have a few little thoughts of my own that I put in there, but mostly it's to connect you up with what I consider worthwhile sources of information. I'm not saying, oh, they're guaranteed 100% right. You must agree with them if you look at them. No, it, your mind is, is yours and you can make up your own mind. But I spend the bulk of my day trying to find good, credible, principled information to share with people for whom that kind of stuff still matters. If you're looking for partisan slogans, trust me, there are plenty of voices out there that can give you as much of those partisan slogans as you're looking for. If you're just looking for comfortable lies, trust me, there, there are a lot of voices out there that'll give you comfortable lies as well. This program is most likely an acquired taste, and I'm okay with that. Because the people who have uh, stuck it out this long, who have, have decided, okay, I would rather know the truth or I'd rather know what's going on than just be told, hey, everything's great. You're the best. You know, and here's a check with your name on it. Um, you know, this is, this is for the truth seekers. And I do what I do. I just, I want to put this on the table for you. I do what I do, not because I'm trying to build this incredible national brand and someday you're going to look at me like I'm a rock star. It's not going to happen. And I'm totally okay with that. I do this because I feel a sacred duty to speak up and to, to use the, the gifts and the talents and the passions that God gave me for something that is worthwhile. And, and in this case, um, you know, I feel a very personal calling from my creator to stand for liberty. And I believe that that creator is, is a big part of the equation of what is liberty. I believe he's the source of liberty, but I won't go any further than that for now. I want to ask you a question, though. Are we supposed to believe that any person who is capable of receiving the vaccine but hasn't yet availed himself of the COVID vaccine 
is doing so out of selfishness, stupidity, or because they've been deceived by conspiracy theories. And the reason I'm framing the question this way is because I fear for a lot of people, those are the only possible explanations why somebody who could have had the vaccine wouldn't have taken it yet. I mean, there's, there's no possible way that somebody could be thinking at a different level and maybe even saying, look, I think there may be something good about it, but I have questions. You know, what are some of the long-term effects? What is this going to do to my body over time? These are questions that can't be answered just yet. What happens to these spike proteins or these protein spikes? You know, where do they accumulate in the body? Are we going to have to have boosters forever and ever? See, these are, these are the questions I would think that a thinking person might ask. But even that isn't the most important consideration. The real issue, at least for, for a lot of us, is we just don't want to be coerced into doing something against our will. In other words, informed consent is a thing, and it's a very important thing, not just for us. This is not just, well, i got to have my way and, you know, screw you. No, because if informed consent can be taken from someone like me, who admittedly is, is finding himself wandering the fringes of society right now, if it can be taken from me, it can be taken from you in other matters. And I'm afraid a lot of folks are very short-sighted about this kind of thing. I saw uh, an excellent article from Hannah Cox. This was uh, published on fee.org. I also saw it picked up on Activist Post. The title is Vax or Jail, The Dilemma Facing Some Americans. Now, this is not that uh, they're going to throw you in jail if you don't get the vax, but listen to this. Brandon Rutherford was recently presented with a dilemma in an Ohio courtroom, and he was told you get vaccinated or face incarceration. Now, he's a 21-year-old man sentenced to two years probation for fentanyl possession by Judge Christopher Wagner of Hamilton County, Ohio, back on August 4th. But the sentence came with a twist in that the judge ordered Rutherford to get a COVID vaccine as a condition of his probation. Should he fail to comply, he could be sent to jail for up to 18 months. Now, Judge Wagner said, I'm just a judge, not a doctor, but I think the vaccine's a lot safer than fentanyl, which is what you had in your pocket. So he gave him 60 days to get vaxxed and said, you're going to maintain employment. You're not going to be around a firearm. I'm going to order you within the next two months to get a vaccine and show that to the probation office. Now, the judge only knew Rutherford's vaccination status in the first place because he questioned him when he arrived in court wearing a mask, a rule that Wagner put in place for any unvaccinated people in his courtroom. Now, Rutherford may only be a 21-year-old, you know, prisoner or a uh, 21-year-old convicted individual, but he was outraged by the mandate. He said, because I don't take a shot, they can send me to jail. I don't agree with that. I'm just trying to do what I can to get off this as quickly as possible, like finding a job and everything else. But that little thing, the COVID vaccine, can set me back. And the judge's order created a stir, prompting Wagner to issue a response. Quote, judges make decisions regularly regarding the defendant's physical and mental health, such as ordering drug, alcohol, and mental health treatment, he wrote in a statement. He also said it was his responsibility to rehabilitate the defendant and protect the community. Interesting. 
Hannah Cox says, Wagner's not the only Ohio judge to take such actions. He joined judges in Franklin and Cahoga counties who made similar demands. But now let's talk about bodily autonomy. Hannah Cox says, as Rutherford's case vividly demonstrates in the wake of COVID-19, the world is grappling with the question of how much control an individual should have over their own body. Bodily integrity, also commonly referred to as bodily autonomy, is a long-standing principle of human rights and individual liberty. In recent years, discussion on this topic has centered around the hashtag MeToo movement regarding sexual harassment and abuse in many of our institutions. She says it's obvious that violating another person's body is inherently wrong. No one questions this premise when discussing matters of sexual violence. Yet, for far too many, those clear-cut lines become blurred with other issues, especially when conversation turns to medical bodily autonomy. And history shows there's a long, troubling tradition in the U.S. of violating the bodily integrity of Americans, particularly the marginalized and disadvantaged. So as an example, a Tennessee judge and sheriff launched a forced sterilization program for inmates back in 2017. Yeah, you heard that correctly. They allowed people in jail to shorten their sentences by 30 days if they agreed to the medical procedures. Now, they were thankfully sued over this. The program was overturned on constitutional grounds. And the attorney who obtained justice in this case, Daniel Horowitz, said at the time, inmate sterilization is despicable. It is morally indefensible and it is illegal. Hannah Cox says forced sterilization among inmates isn't the only medical crime against bodily autonomy in our past either. Back in 1932, the Tuskegee experiment was launched and ran for decades. The United States Public Health Service and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention conducted the study, during which they lied to 600 male, black male participants about their syphilis status and told them they were receiving free health care. In reality, they were given placebos, ineffective treatments, and denied penicillin, even as it became widely available as a treatment for syphilis. This particular case elevated the issue of informed consent in medical procedures, and it highlighted how far the country still had to go in respecting inalienable rights, rather, including the right of the people to be secure in their persons, as articulated in the Bill of Rights. Feel the hair standing up on the back of your neck? It's doing that for a good reason. Stick around. We'll talk about this when we're coming back after the break. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a quick shout out to lifesavingfood.com. Yes, they are one of my sponsors. And yes, it would make a lot of sense for you to be as self-reliant as you can be. Food storage is a big part of that. And if you want to do it smart, I would encourage you, go to the website, lifesavingfood.com. Check out what they have to offer in way of different packages. You don't have to eat the elephant all in one bite. You can start small and kind of work your way up. There are many, many packages to fit any possible budget. But here's the cool thing. 25-year shelf life, that's peace of mind. You're going to eat that food someday. You're going to need that food at some point. This is not money that you're going to waste 
It's an investment in your safety and well-being, and I'm just very proud to have them as a sponsor. Check them out on the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is the show notes for August 18th. So I'm sharing this article from Hannah Cox, who is uh, employed by the Foundation for Economic Education. She is a wonderful writer, and she's talking about the dilemma that some Americans are facing And this is such a strange dilemma. Look, you get the vaccine or you go to jail. In other words, judges are imposing as a condition of probation. You have to do this. You have to get a job. You have to stay away from guns. You have to stay away from drugs, blah, 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 blah. And you have to get the vaccine. Now, it may be it may be a good idea, but is it such a good idea that it should come at the point of a gun? Hannah Cox says, globally, human rights advocates have fought a long and uphill battle to assert the basic principles of bodily autonomy and informed consent in society. Back in 1948, the United Nations passed its Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Article 3 of this declaration states, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. Now, the timing of this declaration is key, as it came at the heels of World War II, a period during which arguably the greatest violations of human rights in modern history were committed, including forced scientific and medical experimentation on human beings on a mass scale. And the subsequent Nuremberg trials held between 1945 and 1949 resulted in the Nuremberg Code of 1947, a set of ten standards that confronted questions of medical experimentation on humans. That Nuremberg Code established a new global standard for ethical medical behavior. Within its requirements, voluntary informed consent of the human subject. Then in 1966, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights declared in its Article 7, no one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. In particular, no one shall be subjected without his free consent to medical or scientific experimentation. Forced medical procedures are an especially monstrous violation of this fundamental right of bodily integrity and autonomy. And that lesson was hard learned through the course of the 20th century, but it seems to have been unlearned amid the panic over COVID-19. And Hannah Cox says the cases in Ohio are especially troubling because they involve defendants whose bodily autonomy is being violated not only once, but twice by their government. Our justice system routinely puts bodies in cages over what the owners of those bodies choose to put in them, whether an actual crime results from that consumption or not. And that's thanks in large part to the immoral and unjust war on drugs, as well as the wide range of nonviolent offenses we currently criminalize in our country. Now, on top of arresting the defendants for choosing to put a substance in their bodies, we have judges threatening further incarceration to coerce those same people into putting a different substance into their bodies. And her point is, in both instances, this is an egregious violation of an individual's bodily autonomy. But many progressives who regularly express outrage over mass incarceration and the war on drugs are noticeably either silent on vaccine mandates or are advocating for them. Hannah Cox quotes economist Ludwig von Mises, saying that he had a lot to say about governments interfering in what individuals choose to consume. In his book, Human Action, he wrote the following, quote, Opium and morphine are certainly dangerous habit-forming drugs, 
But once the principle is admitted that is the du- that it is the duty of government to protect the individual against his own foolishness, no serious objections can be advanced against further encroachments. This is also applicable, she says, to the war on drugs, which was gaining steam around the time of Mises' death. But it's also relevant to the current pandemic policy. Whether or not it's prudent for a person to get vaccinated for their own health is not the correct question. It is not the government's duty to protect individuals against their own folly. Mises went on to write, quote, A good case could be made, made out in favor of the prohibition of alcohol and nicotine. And why limit the government's benevolent providence to the protection of the individual's body only? Is not the harm a man can inflict on his mind and soul even more disastrous than any bodily evils? Why not prevent him from reading bad books and seeing bad plays, from looking at bad paintings and statues and from hearing bad music? The mischief done by bad ideologies surely is much more pernicious both for the individual and for the whole society than that done by narcotic drugs. Yes, why indeed? (laughs) Hannah Cox says, as is the case most of the time when liberty advocates object to a public policy that big government advocates believe to be common sense, we're not doing it simply over the immediate implications, but rather because we know where such policies can lead. If the government can force me to get a vaccine for my own good, what else can it force me to do? The proverbial can of worms is open, the legal precedent set. And any student of history knows it only goes downhill from there. Once again, Ludwig von Mises, quote, These fears are not merely imaginary specters terrifying secluded doctrinaires. It is a fact that no paternal government, whether ancient or modern, ever shrank from regimenting its subjects' minds, beliefs, and opinions. If one abolishes man's freedom to determine his own consumption, one takes all freedoms away. The naive advocates of government interference with consumption delude themselves when they neglect what they disdainfully call the philosophical aspect of the problem, and they unwittingly support the case of censorship, inquisition, religious intolerance, and the persecution of dissenters. End quote. Now, Hannah Cox says those are strong words, but they're earned ones. And highly relevant today as governments are rapidly progressing from we must mandate public health measures to we must censor and persecute those who defy and speak out against our public health measures. In fact, they took it one step further last week, declaring that people who do not accept their health measures or speak out against their health measures should be considered domestic terrorists or pose a terror threat. Yikes. Hannah Cox says those who advocate for the government's ability to deprive humans of their freedom on the basis of consumption, in effect, promote a wide array of injustices and human rights violations. There simply is no gray area here. Crazy stuff. Have you ever stopped to think about uh, what this leads to? Hannah Cox says, look, we don't have to like or condone another person's actions. We don't have to associate them. With them, rather. We must endure other humans acting and living as they see fit without going full Karen and calling the cops. She says, when you argue for government force to violate an individual's bodily autonomy in any manner, you stand on the side of gross injustice and human rights violations. Just ask Brandon Rutherford, who now faces jail time over his decisions about what he will or will not put in his body. I'm not taking the vaccine, Rutherford told CNN. 
and he ought to have every right to make that decision. I have a link to this in the show notes. Please check them out at the com. I know you're going to hear this a lot, and I'm sorry you're hearing it so much from me. I don't want to be the broken record, but the issue here, we cannot let the waters be muddy to where we forget. The real issue here is that some people simply will not be coerced into doing something against their will. So, rather than assuming it's selfishness or stupidity or conspiracy theories that muddled their tiny little minds... Some people just know what their boundaries are and will not yield. Maybe we should respect that. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, if you go to uh, my show notes, you will also find a link. And I would encourage you, take advantage of this. I am looking for feedback from my listeners. Yes, all five of you. Because I feel like with five of you, I could probably uh, personally respond <laughs> to each one of them. No, actually, there's a couple of different things you can do. You can drop a comment. There's a, there's a comment section there on the com. You can also leave me a voice message and if you are so kind as to do that, I will consider putting you into the show, you know, assuming that that's, that's what you'd be okay with. Yes, even if you disagree with me, even if you're telling me that I'm as full of it as a Christmas goose, I'd still uh, love to get your point of view. And I really do value the feedback that I get from those who listen. I'm looking for how I can best use, you know, my time, my talents, uh, what what little platform I have to uh, to best serve you. So the feedback you give me really does help keep me on track. You know, the reactions to what's going on right now in Afghanistan is revealing a very curious blind spot that a lot of Americans have regarding what their government has done and actually is continuing to do in other nations. Saw a very interesting article by Edward Snowden. Yes, Edward Snowden, the whistleblower. Some fascinating insight on what's happening in Afghanistan, and a warning for us. It's titled, A Hell of Our Own Making, Reflections on the Road to Kabul. And this, I want you to hear what he has to say. You don't have to agree, but I want you to consider what uh, what he sees and, and what, uh, what, what he has to share here. He says, The last week has been hard for me, and yet I can only imagine what this week felt like and what the future will bring for the people, the peoples of Afghanistan. Nearly 20 years after it was launched in the wake of 9-11, the long war in Afghanistan, one of the greatest cruelties of my generation, has unexpectedly reached its expectedly tragic conclusion. Now he says, I'm certainly not sad to see it go, but it's difficult to avoid a profound sense of regret at the error of it all. He says, when I recently spoke with Daniel Ellsberg, he pointed out that neither of us is entirely a pacifist, And Edward Snowden says, Dan and I agree, and we're on record agreeing that certain wars are wrong, but if one can conceive of a just war, or at least a less unjust war, there are wrong ways to fight it, and particularly wrong ways to finish it. And there are also, come to think of it, wrong ways to begin wars too, namely refusing to declare them. He says, the war in Afghanistan was not one of those wars. It was not justifiable. 
It was, is, and will forever be wrong, which means leaving is the right decision. Yet he says, there was a time when I felt like picking up Afghanistan by its ankles and shaking it until all the terrorists fell out, like scorpions from a boot. Now he says, most Americans felt that way in the autumn of 2001. And he says, I was no different. I was 18 years old, almost competitively wrong about everything. I actually believed most of what I heard from TV, from official sources. Not everything I heard, but enough. He says, I trusted my government, or at least I trusted it to know more about Afghanistan than I did. And the government told me this, that Afghanistan's ruling Taliban were harboring Al-Qaeda, and that both the Taliban and Al-Qaeda hated us for our freedoms. And he says, my youthful righteousness was manipulated by collaborators in the media until it burned all of the red, white, and blue of a flame, a flame that could scorch, but also a flame that could serve as a beacon of light in the darkness. And he says, this is why I signed up, to defeat the enemies of freedom, or to make the enemy unto us fair, equitable, democratic. The motto of the United States Army Special Forces, he says, was to my younger self, a hook so perfectly baited as to be irresistible. The oppresso lib liber, to free the oppressed. Shamefully, he says, it took me a very long time, peering down from my technocratic perch at the CIA and later the NSA, to apprehend the nature of my work, transforming the Internet, a liberating, democratizing tool, into an architecture of oppression. But he says, before I took that step toward clarity, I struggled to apprehend the nature of our violence in Afghanistan and especially in Iraq. You are either with us or you are or against us in the fight against terror, said Bush the younger. But he never defined who exactly was the enemy. And Snowden says, if you look beyond the label, terrorists are just murderers with a political motive, mere criminals. So were our enemies states or were they criminal groups within those states and were those criminal groups subject to direction by the states in which they operated or to other states? And how? And if we dealt with criminals in the way we deal with states, does that not unduly elevate them to something close to a peer? In substituting a military action for a police action, are we not setting a dangerous precedent for the future? Snowden says these questions spread like a net, a dragnet, and caught up everyone. And he says, I'm not trying to say this realization was immediate, because it was not. It was a process, beset by rationalization, the reflex of a mind, desperate to escape an inevitably dark denouement. Precisely because I had intended to do good, it was difficult to accept the possibility that I had become involved in something bad, perhaps even evil. He says, intentions are what paved the roads to Kabul, a hell of our own making. But that might be the charitable explanation. Because for all the talk of democratizing Afghanistan, it was never clear that it was Afghanistan we were fighting. Weren't we fighting the Taliban or Al-Qaeda? Weren't they backed by Pakistan? Or what about Saudi Arabia? He says, ultimately, we Americans were fighting ourselves or our own governance as we came to understand how the agony of 9-11 had been politicized. All of the great cliches to be revived by this new lost war, Afghanistan, the grave of empires, never get involved in a land war in Asia. The most banal was also the truest. We are our own worst enemies. He says, just hours before I sat down to draft this, The President of the United States gave a speech in which he tried to defend the honor of this war. A defense that is frankly offensive 
and that I think offends the families, most offends the families of the injured and the dead. President Biden then went on to assert that our erstwhile ally, Osama bin Laden, had been brought to justice, our noble lie. He could have been brought to justice, but we shot him instead. And he wasn't even in Afghanistan. Snowden says if there are any lessons to be learned by this tragic sequel to Saigon, you can be assured we will not learn from them. We will just sit by as the people of Afghanistan, many of whom were deluded by American promises as Americans themselves, cling to hopes, cling to planes, and fall lost to the desert of theocratic rule. Some will say, well, they didn't fight. They get what they deserve, to which I say, and what do we deserve? I'm glad he said it, though. A fractious country composed of warring tribes, unable to form inclusive an inclusive whole, unable to wade beyond shallow differences in sect and identity in order to provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to themselves and their posterity. And so they perish in the span of a breath without ever reaching the promised shore. He says, today this describes the country this describes as Afghanistan, but tomorrow the country this describes might be my own. I've got a link to this, and I, you know, I guess uh, Snowden is is now publishing stuff on Substack. Good for him. It's good to see that he's availing himself of a platform that isn't, you know, trying to spin and censor. By the way, one of the great ironies too is that uh, the Taliban still has operative Twitter accounts, and Twitter apparently does not have a problem with these uh, these guys, you know, doing whatever they're doing and tweeting and you know being being a part of the Twitter community. Now, former President Trump, on the other hand, well, we can't have that. That's too dangerous. Well, that might get people fired up. And I thought it was very funny that uh, actually, uh, I think, was it yesterday? Maybe the day before, Taliban members or Taliban leadership were holding a press conference. Somebody somebody asked him, it was probably some Western reporter, well, what can you tell us about your stance on freedom of speech? And I thought it was ironic and actually pretty appropriate that the Taliban uh, leadership said, well, you know, we encourage free speech, unlike your own country where Twitter is censoring free speech or where, you know, social media, uh, you know, actually censors free speech. And I thought, wow, that's a that's a pretty spicy move. But are they wrong? You know, the craziest thing to consider is, you know, I, I know we want to believe our men and women who went over there and served honorably in Afghanistan, you know, they were doing the right thing. I think they probably went there with the best of motivations, but I want you to remember, they did not choose where to go and what to do. They went there on the orders of other people who chose to send them there for purposes that, again, we're, we're finding out were dubious at best, and in the end, were abandoned when they became inconvenient. I think it was the right thing for us to leave, to end the occupation. I'm just sad that so much blood and treasure was expended before somebody wised up. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. A lot of folks have relocated to Utah. The real estate market, of course, uh, bears witness to this. It is crazy. Homes do not stay on the market. The The competition is very fierce when it comes to uh, landing a home, assuming that you found one. Yeah, there's there's very little inventory. But when you find that dream home, you've got to make sure your, your uh, financing is in order. This is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is there to help you. Decades of experience in the lending industry. Heather understands the ins and outs of what lenders and borrowers need. Her NMLS ID is 715386. And you can visit the offices of Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George at 619 South Bluff Street or call 435-703-4522. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. They're also a sponsor of this show, and I'm sure grateful for them. Well, let's spend a little bit of time talking about being trusting of other people. Because I want to be trusting of other people, right? I think, I think that's actually probably a good thing to be. Generally, you know, we, we want to trust others. But I want you to listen to the audio from this TikTok video of a preschool teacher celebrating her latest triumph. And this is something that uh, I want you to remember. We're talking preschool. We're talking kids as young as two years old. Listen to what she has to say here. Story time. This has been my first year in preschool with a class of my own, teaching alongside another queer neurodivergent educator, and we have been rocking our twos class. We've been talking about gender and skin color and consent and empathy and our bodies and autonomy. It's been fabulous. But our teaching team is shifting and a new person is being onboarded, someone with many years of experience. So today at the lunch table, when the topic of gender and genitals came up, one of our students plainly looked up and said, well, I'm a girl today, but I know that teacher Ko isn't. No, they're Envy. And the look on the incoming teacher's face was priceless. She was shocked in a good way. And she just looked around at the two of us and said, this class is incredible. And I am so impressed. Yay! Keep in mind, we're not talking about college students sitting around the quad talking about all the latest, you know, gender norming. And, you know, this is not the, the latest fashionable imperative for a bunch of adults. We're talking preschoolers. So we're sitting there at the lunch table and the topic of gender and genitals came up. Excuse me. Who's talking about that with little children? I know I'm doing a pretty good impression of the guy who yells at clouds. But seriously, we're supposed to just pretend that, uh, oh, yeah, this is this is a great idea here. See, if you wonder why, Brian, why are you sometimes so skeptical and why, why do you not, you know, walk with society? How come you feel like you have to march to the beat of your own drum? It's stuff like this. Because there are people who will tell me, no, 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 what this lady's celebrating, this teacher, this, this is really great. I guess she's really into sex positivity, which I, I don't know. I've seen other tweets that she has sent out and it's, I, why would you want to bring young minds into the gutter. I mean, we take innocence from the kids so quickly anyway. Why would you want to start 
and 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 strip them of their innocence. I I'm I'm sorry if I'm ascribing less than noble motives here, but I can't think of a good reason for doing this. To me, this is this is horrific. And I don't know that it's necessarily even being done with, you know, all these parents don't have any idea. Probably some do. And the crazy thing to me is there are some who are are very supportive of this. Talk about living in clown world. Now, let's shift gears here and we'll talk about another teacher. This this happened, I believe, just yesterday, maybe the day before. First day of school in, uh, in a particular Utah school district. And it's kind of hard to hear, so you're going to have to listen. But uh, I want you to hear this teacher laying down the law to her students. And if you can, if you can hear what she's saying, just understand these students—they're they're much older than preschoolers, but they're very clearly being told it is time to reject what your parents think because you are so much smarter than them. Check this out. I'll straight up call it out. I'm like so over it. Okay. Okay, well, I would be super proud of you if you chose to get the vaccine. But, yeah. Yeah. We'll just keep getting Delta. We'll just keep getting variants over and over and over until people get vaccinated. It's never going to end. Exactly. It could end in five seconds if people would get vaccinated. Yes. I hate Donald Trump. I'm going to say it. I don't care what y'all think. Trump sucks. He's a sexual predator. He's a literal moron. Go tattle on me to the freaking admin. They don't give a crap. No, he is not. What are you talking about? Turn off the Fox News. Do your parents listen to Fox News? So what? This is my classroom, and if you guys are going to put me at risk, you're going to hear about it. Somebody has some control issues here. (laughs) I don't have to be happy about the fact that there's kids coming in here with their variants that could possibly get me or my family sick. That's rude. And I'm not going to pretend like it's not. So don't ask me to. That's damn right. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to lie. If you ask me a legit question, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it either. Because y'all need to hear the truth. Here it comes. Here it comes. Listen to her agenda here. (laughs) You don't have to be, though. That's the thing. Most of y'all parents are dumber than you. I'm going to say that out loud. My parents are freaking dumb. Okay? And the minute I figured that out, the world opens up. You don't have to do everything your parents say, and you don't have to believe everything your parents believe. Because most likely you're smarter than them. Okay, I'm going to stop it here. You you get the picture. Now, to their credit, the Alpine School District 
has uh, suspended this teacher while they investigated and they said, look, that's pretty unprofessional behavior. I think I think that's, you know, putting it mildly. But I want you to consider what is taking place in that classroom. You know, here you have someone who is is speaking to a captive audience, and I'm sorry to be using these terms because it sounds very militant, but Utah still has compulsory attendance laws on the books. Parents are required to either send their kids to public school or they're required to jump through the hoops to opt their children out. But if you were a parent, how okay would you be with a teacher saying, hey, your parents are dumb. You know more than your parents. And the sooner you figure out that you're smarter than your parents, that's when the whole world is going to open up to you. You don't have to believe what they believe. You don't have to do what they say. My parents are so dumb. I became I became so much better off as soon as I realized what they were and, and rejected whatever they had taught me. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're not going to disagree with your parents as you're growing up. That's a pretty common thing. And I did, and I rebelled, and I pushed back against my parents. I would have been a very prime candidate to hang on this teacher's words had I been sitting in her classroom as a kid. Fortunately, there came a point where I reached adulthood, and I remember distinctly the day that it happened, because that was the day that it suddenly clicked in my brain, Brian, your parents have been on your side this entire time. And I remember the shock of that revelation and the shock of, oh my goodness, how could I not have seen this? Look, I don't know. She may be a very talented teacher and there may be students that she's able to reach that nobody else can. But does this seem like it would fit with with a job description? I know that there are educators out there. I've encountered them at least at the collegiate level who said my job is to make sure that these kids know to reject everything their parents taught them. They pride themselves on, I'm, I'm here to free them from the clutches of religion. It's, there's a lot of Marxism. And I think you can actually hear some hints of Marxism in, in this teacher's comments. So the question that I have for you is, uh, do we trust our children's minds to such individuals? Is it possible we've been a little too trusting? Are you talking with your kids? Even if they don't agree with you, do they know that you love them? Do they know that you're on their side? Because there are predators out there, and I think this teacher is one of them, who are waiting to captivate their little minds. Sorry, that sounds condescending. This is The Brian Hyde Show.